Welcome to the Baptist Broadcast. Thank you for tuning in, coming on here again, doing a double whammy today. Mondays is the day where I have the freedom to um, produce some extra content. Um, Tuesdays through Fridays uh, really are my heaviest work days in terms of uh, preparing for the Lord's Day. And... um, uh, Mondays are kind of my lighter days, so I have time to actually uh, uh, to get on here and 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 do the show. So uh, sometimes I, I get an opportunity to do it throughout the the other days, but uh, but most of the time it's going to be Monday. Hey, before we get started here, keep in mind there's a newsletter, a newsletter, joshsummer.substack.com. Go subscribe to that so you can get on the mailing list. There is a paid subscription option that is inexpensive and comes with extra content. Right now we're going through the Baptist Broadcast Elanctix edition where uh, I am uh, reading through uh, some manuscripts uh, that I've written over the last year or so dealing with um, uh, refuting uh, bad doctrine, uh, refuting false doctrine. So uh, maybe you can benefit from some of that. Plus, the subscription helps to uh, support uh, even uh, this production here, even though this production is free of charge. Um, click subscribe down below. Subscribe to the channel if you're watching on YouTube. And uh, give me a thumbs up if this is a helpful episode. Don't forget to click that bell for continued notifications. If you are tuning in via Anchor.fm, Spotify, iTunes, thank you for being here. Share the podcast if you can and if you have a place to share it, and obviously if, if it's beneficial to you. So let's get right into it. And uh, we're going to, I, I, want to, I want to perform some exegesis on James 1.17 because in the current uh, conversation on the doctrine of God, James 1.17, 17 is very, very important. It's something that's not actually being uh, talked about very much. And um, in uh, kind of the more popular pop-level books concerning this issue and talks concerning this issue, uh, even even in some of the more uh, academic level uh, volumes, frames, doctrine of God and all of that, uh, there's not a whole lot of exegesis being done on this issue, uh, and if there is, there's a bad metaphysics being presupposed behind it, so uh, there's like a, uh, a, a, a rigidly literalist kind of uh, approach to the scriptures, which the scriptures themselves do not, uh, do not, um, uh, do not play by. So uh, let's, I'm going to see if I can pull up a window um, here of, uh, and, uh, let's see, make it visible. That would help. Um, that way you can see this. I tried to make the letters big so that you would be able to, uh, to see it. Um, so here's James 1.17, and, uh, you can see I have the Greek underneath it. Uh, we may or may not, uh, defer to it. Um, but, um, here we are. Now, you, you... Let me, let me qualify by saying that biblical theology is not going to put together for you a comprehensive doctrine of the Trinity. Um, biblical theology and systematic theology need to be distinct, although biblical theology uh, is, is foundational to systematic theology uh, in one way or, or another. 
Um, we need to we need to be sure to keep those two areas of theology, those two modes of theology, if you will, uh, distinct. Um, because if you if you smash the two together, you end up in the world of biblicism, and you're not able to uh, make distinctions that you would otherwise make. You're not able to use terms you would otherwise use. And it's 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 not a good policy. It would at in the final analysis, what a full-fledged, consistent biblicism would have you do is deny the laws of logic, without which you wouldn't be able to interpret the scriptures in the first place. It would have you deny any kind of extra biblical language, like the word Trinity, uh, covenant of works, you know, a covenant of grace, and so on and so forth. You'd have to deny all of that. You wouldn't be able to. Uh, you wouldn't be able to preach sermons that didn't use explicitly biblical language. So, um, uh, you know, we we want to make a distinction between biblical theology and systematic theology, as well as the other branches of theology as well. Um, and that being said, when you, when we're talking about a systematic formulation of the doctrine of God, which is going to use technical terminology, it's going to use philosophical terminology in service of talking about uh, the doctrine of God correctly, um, you know, biblical theology and biblical exegesis should have already been done by that point, and and really it 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 shouldn't be, or that's really not the proper field. To, to talk about uh, a, you know, a systematic doctrine of God. Uh, that being said, biblical theology certainly undergirds it. It serves as its foundation. Uh, but uh, when we're talking about creedal, confessional theology, when we're talking about systematic theology or theoretical theology, um, then we're using technical terminology to help us talk about um, these doctrines, uh, technical terminology, which may or may not be found in the scriptures themselves, even though the concept most certainly is. Um, and for that reason, I don't think biblical theology is like where you necessarily need to go in order to, you know, be able to point at divine simplicity or divine immutability and say, look, the scriptures prove it explicitly. Okay. So that's not what I'm doing here. And that's not my assumption behind what I'm doing here. What I'm doing here is I'm, is I'm pointing to the fact that scripture assumes, uh, an immovable or an immobile God um, which is now being rejected by a large amount of Christians. And this has become all the more apparent in recent conversation, but it's really something that has been an issue uh, over the last several years. And it started to surface all the more when James Dolezal published his book, All That Is In God. But it, it's, it's coming to the surface even more so with further publications. And uh, it was actually an issue uh, during the ARBCA debate on impassibility. It, 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 it boiled to the surface there, and there are all sorts of, uh, of long-lasting effects, even from that dispute all those years ago. Um, so, when we're talking about uh, God... And the argument is being made, uh, you know, from the opposition, you know, and, and, and when I say the opposition, I mean those who are denying uh, God's immutability in terms of motion. They are saying that there is motion, eternal motion in God. So they deny immutability, but a, but a subset of immutability uh, being immobility. Um, and they're, they're saying that God moves. God moves eternally in and of himself. He's in motion just perpetually. 
Um, and he has to be in motion in order for his will to move so that his will can move other things. Uh, in other words, you know, creation. So his will can, can affect creation and all of that. Um, interestingly, even though they're, they're, they're saying their point of view comes from the scriptures, there's very little interaction with the biblical language. When there is interaction with the biblical language, it's taken like anthropological language, uh, that's you know language that's explicitly anthropological, or it's making a a, a an inference through good and necessary consequence uh, of 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 God and creation, and just the presence of creation, uh, you know, uh, in general uh, from Genesis one, for example. And they're saying, well, look, because these things are the case, God must move. God must be in motion. Because if he wasn't in motion, this wouldn't be happening. And 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 they're struggling with being able to explain motion in creation without there being some kind of motion in God. And so instead of, you know, you know, traveling one route, denying motion in God while saying that though God does not move, he can affect motion in other things, uh, created things, uh, they're just putting motion in God. They're not, they're not, um, uh, interacting with the relevant source material. They're not even interacting with the Protestant source material, whom they claim to, you know, they claim to branch off of, they claim to descend from, and uh, so it's very odd. And there's there's not very very much interaction going on with with scripture. And if there's any any interaction going on with scripture, it's certainly not happening with regard to James one seventeen. Um, there's not been a deep, you know, from what I can tell, there's not been a deep interaction with this text, as you can see. The text on your screen is every good gift and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Now, this is the New King James Version, um, and I, I could pull it up in 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 any other version. Uh, in substance, you know the versions agree. And um, now here we have created things, good gifts, let's say, uh, perfect gifts coming down from above, so there's change there, there there's movement from those gifts, uh, there's movement in those gifts, those gifts are coming from above to us, so there's some kind of change going on there, um, and of course we are changing and receiving those gifts, uh, going from one state of not receiving the gifts to the other state of receiving the gifts, um, so there's, <clears throat> there's all kinds of change going on with regard to what is created, the blessings themselves and the people receiving the blessings, of course, um, but look what James says. He says, these gifts come down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation. That term variation, uh, paralage, is, it just means, it just means no change. Uk paralage means no change. And, and that term for variation, paralage, is just a general word for uh, change. It just denies change in God generally. But then the text gets more specific. It says there's no variation. There's no change or shadow of turning tropes. Um, and you could render it this way. You could say with whom there is no change or shadow of change. All right. Um, but tropes is a different word, and tropes has historically been understood, and lexically is it's understood to apply to the revolution of heavenly bodies. And I can uh, I can show you here uh, a lexical definition of of the term. 
you just give me a moment. Oops, why did it pull it up like that? All right, here we go. Um, let's see if I can make it a little bigger. Trope, a turning of the heavenly bodies. Uh, it even cites James 117 there, uh, often so in the Greek, written from Homer and others. Okay, so anyway, you, you get the idea that the that the that the term there is is more specific than than paralage. Uh, paralage refers to change in general. So you have uk paralage, which means no change. There's no change in the father, or shadow of change. There's no inkling of change. And that word, that second word for change, tropes, refers to the revolution of heavenly bodies which all the ancients obviously would have associated not just with change generally, but specifically with motion. So here, change and motion are being denied in God. You can look at a recent book that was published, Dr. Jeff Johnson's book, and, and I wrote three part, a three-part review on this. Motion is explicitly affirmed in God. God ad intra. But the text here is telling us something totally different. Um, and, and what I've said, what I said just in the earlier episode that I, that I made today, that, that uh, you know, a denial of Thomism is, is really just a denial of Augustinianism. And, and, and I made the claim also that the denial of Augustinianism is just a denial of apostolic Christianity. And this is exactly why. Uh, a denial of Augustinianism on this point of divine immutability is just a denial of apostolic Christianity because apostolic Christianity says there's no change in the Father or inkling of change in the Father. Interestingly, for Johnson's case, he locates change in the persons of the Trinity. And here, James is specifically addressing the Father. And um, obviously, according to classical Trinitarianism, we would say that uh, the persons are identified with the divine essence, right? So the, the, the Father is fully God. The Son is fully God. The Holy Spirit is fully God. And so, of course, there being no change or shadow of change in the Father is reflective of, of the, the nature of the case in, in all the persons of the Trinity because the, the fullness of the divine nature, the fullness of the divine essence subsists, subsists fully in each person of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then they're distinguished modally or relationally one from the other. Um, a couple of other texts, I, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to keep you all on here for too long, but a couple of other texts that would be relevant to us would be uh, Malachi 3.6, which, which I alluded to in the last episode today, for I'm the Lord, I do not change, therefore you are not consumed, O sons of Jacob. So it's grounding a promise, a precious promise, in, and, and, and assurance right, of that promise in, in the immutability, the, the non-change of God. There's no alteration, no change in God. Another one is uh, Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor son of man that he should repent or change his mind. Has he said and will he not do? Or has he spoken and will he not make it good? And here the, the unchangingness is put in relationship with God's will. And that's the exact thing that is being said needs to be changeable in these latter days. What I would just tell you is to be very, very careful when you 
when you go about uh, just trying to get away from a personality and in trying to get away from that particular personality, you deny the, the, the objective truths that those personalities just merely discovered and repeated, um, you're not denying the personality anymore. You're denying truth, objective truth. And in this case, objective truth is being denied, and it's objective truth that is known through nature, and it is known explicitly through Scripture. Guys, again, I hope this was a helpful episode, and if you're listening, please share the podcast. If you're watching here on... Uh, if you're watching here on... Um, YouTube, sorry. Uh, click the uh, subscribe button. Please subscribe to the channel and the bell for continued notifications. And don't forget about the... How do I do this? I'm not going to get this straight here. Don't forget about the the the, the newsletter, joshsummer.substack.com. I will see you there. Bye-bye.